Anyway, good, good morning, everyone. My name's Sai. It's great to be here uh, this morning with you and to share God's Word. I hope you're enjoying God's grace in your life, as Pauline shared, but about how God's gr- it's all about God's grace, His undeserved favor on us. And the truth is, whether you realize it or not, God's grace is on your life. You're experiencing something of His grace just by living at this time in, in this world. You experience God's general goodness towards you. And as we've been looking at over the last few, um, few weeks as a church, we've been looking at God's grace, His saving grace towards us who have been called in Jesus Christ. We don't earn it. You can't earn it. You don't have to perform to try and keep God's grace. You receive it through faith in the Son of God. Jesus Christ. This grace not only saves us eternally from the wrath of God to come against all wickedness, which all of us have contributed towards in our own way, but it also saves us from that, but it also then empowers us to live a life for God, to to please Him and and to become more and more like Him as His Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. Amen? Amen. Right, this morning, I want you to pretend that you're uh, an African church, okay? I want you to say, when I say hallelujah, I want you to say amen. Amen. Yes, one person got it. So if I say hallelujah, amen, amen. good. If I try again, hallelujah, amen, Amen. good. That's that's much better. Okay, so that's that's what's going to happen this morning, please. Otherwise, I'll I'll keep saying it and you'll get really uh, annoyed with me. Anyway. A number of years ago, I became acutely aware of God's transforming grace in my life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Good, good. This happened when I was in Southampton. I was in Asda, and, uh, and, uh, uh, and it was just after. I was going to make a joke then, but I thought better of it. I was in Asda, and... Um, It was just after the self-service checkout deals had come out. So this dates it for you. Uh, And um, there's a lady in front of me in the queue. And she had just used the self-service checkout till. And she walked off all so pleased with herself, so empowered. She had brought her food by herself. And off she went. And now it was my turn to be so clever and so empowered. So I went to use the machine. Went to swipe the thing in, as as you do. But it was beeping at me. Beep. Houston, we have a problem. It wasn't working. So I I looked down, and lo and behold, the lady in front of me had used the cashback option. And there was about £100 just there waiting for, for someone to take. And as quick as a flash, this thought came into my mind, take it. You can take it. She's gone. And it's just like that into my mind. And now, now that's not what surprised me. What surprised me was, (laughs) was, <laughs> I haven't said hallelujah yet, so, uh, <laughs> what surprised me was my reaction to that thought that came into my mind as quick as a flash. My reaction wasn't, oh yeah, you could take that, which it would have been actually at one stage in my life. My reaction was, oh yuck, I can't do that, that's someone else's money. And thankfully, the lady who had walked off from the till was walking the other side of the, the till 
uh, to me now. So I was able to say, excuse me, and she looked at me all you know, pleased and happy with her transaction. I said, is this yours? At which point she went, oh, my goodness, thank you, thank you so much. And uh, I get, gave her the money, and um, she went off less pleased with herself, and, uh, uh, and I, I was able to do my shopping. Now, you know, because I regularly uh, tell you from the front, there's things that I struggle with, there's things that, that, are, that are there that the discipline of grace has to kick in and say, come on, Si, you know you shouldn't really be thinking like this or, 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 or thinking about that. Stop, stop thinking about it. And there would have, as I said, been a time in my life where that thought would have resonated with, my, with myself. And I thought, oh, yeah, I could. Oh, no, no, I shouldn't. But, oh, I could. Uh, that, but thanks to the grace of God, he had changed my character in this area to be more in line with Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And you're pleased for that, that now your pastor is not a thief, aren't you? So <laughs> anyway, uh, now part of the reason I believe this uh, is the case uh, in, in my life. Do you remember when I spoke two weeks ago, I, I put a, had a table up there of a list of sins and a list of uh, their opposites. They should appear on the screen now behind me. And one of the things that God has done in both Anna and myself over the years is he has done a work in our lives of causing us to become cheerful givers. Uh, it was after, as I, I think I shared with you before, Anna's dad had spoken um, when I was about 19 or 20. He was preaching one, one week, and he spoke about a man who he knew who had just an average salary, and he gave, in faith, a third of what he earned to God. And I can remember thinking, wow, that is a really generous, cheerful giver. That is someone to aim to, to copy uh, with your life. And uh, so this began, this process in me and Anna of becoming cheerful givers. We're, we're, not, we're not near uh, that man, but we're working towards it as a couple. So the thought of becoming a cheerful thief was repulsive to us because we're on a path of becoming cheerful givers in the Lord. And over the last 20 years, I can testify to you of provision after provision that God has met with us. I can testify to you of a joy in, in life that God has given to us and a joy in giving to God and the things of God. And I can also testify to a transformed heart in that particular area. Not completely, obviously. The Holy Spirit still has lots of work to do in me. But he has changed me a lot as well. So I'm very grateful to him for that. And for some of you in this room, I know that God has already done that work and is doing that work in you of becoming a cheerful uh, giver in him. And I just want to encourage you to continue in that vein this morning and also maybe even to dare to believe God to become more of a cheerful giver. And for others of you, I believe God is wanting to challenge you afresh this morning and speak into that situation and cause you to think, yes, I want to begin to go down this road. I want to step further down this road of becoming a cheerful giver to God and to the work of God. You know, we serve 
a God. We have a God and Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the most hilarious, sacrificial, cheerful giver ever. And he wants to produce that in you and me more and more. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Good. Good. So let's look at being cheerful givers. Um, Just a quick warning. I want to give a quick warning beforehand. Because um, I'm addressing grace to the area of finance, there's a temptation all of a sudden to, to switch off and think, oh no, I've, I've heard something along these lines before or, or, or whatever. But if you were with Jesus 2,000 years ago, you would realize that he addressed this subject much more than we do as a, a church. You can see it in the Gospels. He regularly addressed the area of money because we need regular challenging on it. Although, if you like, money is, a, is, quite, is, is, is linked to material things and stuff like that. Actually, there is a powerful spiritual element behind money as well. That God wants to deal in all of us so that we are set free from that. also like to point out as well, that we as elders, we don't know what anybody gives. So I'm not, you know, talking at specific people here. We don't know what, what people give, and we don't want to know. But we do want the fruit of a cheerful giver in your life. We do want the fruit that produces in you, and also the fruit that, that releases in terms of the kingdom of God, extension of the kingdom of God, here and now amongst us. So if you've got your Bibles... Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 9, and then I'm going to jump over and read 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 11. Just give you a moment to find that. Two Corinthians eight, verse one. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor, literally for the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, and some translations put in your love for us, it's addressing love in in, in both aspects, see that you excel in this act of grace also, the grace of giving he's talking about there. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And then jumping over into chapter 9, verse 6, it says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap 
sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely and has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Amen. And there's two things I want to bring to you this morning, and that is grace to give cheerfully and a God who gives cheerfully. So firstly, grace to give cheerfully. Now, God's grace, it transforms us from being focused on ourselves to focused on God. As Chris pointed out last week, we're called to make Jesus our master so that we're no longer identified by our sin, but we're identified by the Son. And of course, we cannot see grace at work. In, we cannot see grace actually in, in people working on their hearts, which is why Jesus makes it clear it's by their fruits you will know this. You see grace outworking in their life if grace is already at work in their hearts. And there's certain characteristics that grace produces in us. Uh, one summary would be, we've just read it in, 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 in chapter 8, verse 7, where as Paul says to them, but as you excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in love, see that you excel in this act of giving as well. The grace of giving. Paul Barnett, in his commentary on 2 Corinthians, on this passage, he says this, the grace of God is his attitude of unconditional kindness towards us. I like that uh, summary of grace. God's invisible grace, however, is also made visible and concrete in the grace God gives to members of churches. Specifically, their faith, speech, knowledge, and love, and in sacrificial, freely given generosity. Being generous to God with our finances is actually a sign of grace at work in us. It's working its way deep into our lives. A bit like that picture you've got up there of a, of a lava lamp. You see, you switch on the electricity, which you can't see, and the lava lamp lights up and is filled with all these beautiful colours, which you can see. And then as it begins to heat up, this, this liquid at the bottom uh, begins to produce these little bubbles that, that jump up and fall down, and it looks pretty. And as it's fully warmed up, it happens that, they, that it's bigger bubbles, and they happen more rapidly and constantly, that they jump up and fall back down again. And that's a picture of grace in your life. You, you can't see grace entering somebody's life and, uh, and affecting, uh, 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 impacting their heart, but you can see its effects as it works out. They instantly begin to be transformed and begin to live out in the beautiful colors of the fruit of the Holy Spirit as he produces that 
in their lives. And as grace works deeper in your life, it works all the way down through you to your wallet and uh, begins to affect what you give as, as well. A little at first, but if, as you grow and mature in this area, it should impact you so it increases and becomes more uh, larger gifts and more consistent as well. Terry Virgo, in his excellent book, God's Lavish Grace, says this, It takes grace to free you to give extravagantly. Charles Swindle says, Grace-oriented generosity is the overflow of a liberated heart. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Good, good. You're still, you're still with me. Joe, it's interesting. In chapter 8, in the first nine verses, grace is mentioned five times. It's mentioned four times in the first six verses alone. And as I highlighted, as I read through, that word in um, verse 4 where it says, they're begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part. It's literally for the grace of taking part. Grace is key in the act of giving. Colin Cruz says this in his commentary on 2 Corinthians. God is generous, and where his grace is truly experienced in people's lives, the evidence will be similar love and generosity. And you can see that in the passage in the Macedonians. Despite their poverty, despite their severe affliction, they were begging to take part in being able to give and not just give a little, but give more than they, than, than they could really afford. They gave sacrificially to the work of God. It was the grace of God that enabled them to do that, to give themselves first to God and then secondly to the work of God, as it says in verse 5. Charles Hodge, the famous 19th century theologian, he says this, commenting on that first, first does not mean in time, but in importance. They put God first. And this, my friends, is really important. It's a really important point for us to understand. If Jesus is your master, and through his grace, you are living for him, as Chris and myself have looked at with you over the last two weeks as we went through Romans 6 with you. If you're living for him and putting him first then he will affect all of your life, not just part of it, everything. Does Jesus have first place in your life this morning? Does he have the prime position in your thinking, in your planning, in your emotions, in your, priority, in your priorities in, in life as well? Are you living for yourself or are you living for Jesus? Jesus is very clear when it comes to this whole area of finances. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, verse 21. You're, you follow the money to see where your heart truly is. If you look at your bank statement over the last six months, that is a good litmus test of where your heart truly is. Terry Virgo says this. This is an excellent quote. It's a, a couple of quotes from two or three pages in his book. He says this. The fact is that God 
wants you to be seriously committed to giving money away. Generosity is one of the key characteristics of a grace-filled person. God is intensely interested in our giving. Giving is not a casual affair. It's not a matter of loose change or what's left at the end of a demanding month. Giving has to do with the purpose of the heart, prioritizing to put first the kingdom of God. God wants you to give what is right, not what is left. He's clever, isn't he, Terry? He's very clever. Uh, There's a firstness to our giving to the kingdom of God. Do you know, Anna and I, we've always, uh, when we've looked at getting houses, and they say, oh, you can get this much more on your mortgage and stuff like that, we've always deliberately limited ourselves to factor in the fact that we want to give X amount away first. That was our first in our thinking. We've limited ourselves, if you like, materially speaking, over the last uh, 20 years, so that we can continue to give through that time generously. In your planning of your budget, is giving to God a top priority? And if you don't have a budget at all, actually, you easily end up in that place of just giving God what you've got left at the end of the month. give, Give yourself a budget, and if you need help with that, we have CMA, Malcolm and the team here to help set people with budgets. But actually, as believers, God should be in the mix there, and he should be a top priority above everything else. People say to me uh, sometimes, oh yeah, but, you know, shouldn't I have this this new car, or this new phone, or this new whatever? Am I, am I not allowed with it? And my answer's always the same. It's your money. You can do what you like with it. God's given it to you. But don't be deceived. Where you choose to spend it will determine to a greater extent, where your heart is in life. That income you receive, that tax rebate, that bonus, that inheritance, whatever it is, God has given it all to you. It's your money in the first place. But where you spend it and how you spend it will impact what you're living for, impact where your heart is focus. And remember, you're just a steward of it anyway. God is the one who gave it all to you in the first place. In Corinthians 8 verse 8, we've just read, Paul makes it clear there's no command to give, but what you do give does reflect the genuineness of your love, Scripture says. Now this may cause some of you to think, okay, well, well what should I give? What's the, what's the right amount. Well, I know the, the law prescribed 10%. Is that the magic figure that I should be giving to, to God? It's quite a sizable figure. The law does state 10%, and Abraham and Jacob before the law gave 10% to God as well. The writer of Hebrews picks up on that principle. So you could say, well, yeah, that's a, that's a good figure, I suppose, to, to be aiming for if, if you want. And if you're new to this or you're young in the faith, you just, you just start with what you've got faith for. You just start with, with a little that's maybe a little bit stretching and think, okay, yeah, I can give, I can give that and uh, that might stretch me a little bit, but I think I can do it. 
I'll go for that. And you regularly review it and look, see, oh, God, do you want me to give a bit more? Do you want me to give a bit more in this situation? And you take that faith journey. Now, let me just add this here. I felt it was right to add this. There's some of you here that because of your marriage situation, you're not free to give what your heart wants to give. God sees your heart. He knows. So just don't, don't worry about that. He, he sees your heart. But for the rest of us, yeah, 10%, I suppose, may be a good figure to be aiming for, to, to grow in this. But we're not under law. We're under grace. The New Testament makes that, that very clear. Grace sets us free to truly live for God. And, you know, the emphasis in the New Testament is not how much less, but how much more have we received through Christ and how much more do we get in grace. So, therefore, how much more of a faith journey can we take in this area? Jesus said this, because this is about, sorry, Apostle Paul said this, and this is true for us, those of us who are in Jesus, that in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live, this is us, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. Does your finances reflect the fact that you are no longer living for yourself, but you are living for God? My friends, my plea to you, like the Apostle Paul, is to strive to grow in the grace of God in all areas. And this is one of those areas. In fact, it's a, it's a key area because as you grow in it, it frees your heart off the temporary things onto the eternal things to live for God. It frees you from the love of money, which is the root of all kinds of evil, 1 Timothy 6 tells us. God himself will reward you as you give to him as we've seen in chapter 9 of what I've read. You know, someone once said to me, uh, well, it's a famous quote, wasn't said to me, it was said to, to many of us, uh, uh, that, uh, you know, you, um, you can't take your money with you when you die, but you can send it on ahead of you by what you give. And actually, you can send it behind you as well if you leave some in your legacy, but uh, uh, that's, that's another thing. But just to be really clear here, Actually, as sometimes I've heard people say, oh, yeah, yeah I, I, I give to God. I give to God by giving to this donkey sanctuary or to this thing over here. Well, that's a bit like saying, you know, well, try and, well you try saying this to the, to the tax man. Well, I know I live in England, but actually I want to pay my tax to the Spanish government because I like the beaches down there, so I want to give it to, to that over there. My friends, we give to God by investing in the kingdom of God. Those works that extend his kingdom here on earth. And the lion's share of it should go to your local church where you are spiritually fed week in, week out. Otherwise, it's a bit like going to Tesco's and doing your, your, your shopping and then saying to the security guard on the way out, no, 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 I'm going to pay at co-op. Don't worry, I prefer the ethical standard over there. I'm going to pay there. So, well, you've come to Tesco. And uh, 
is a bit like that. And some people do that. By all means, give to every place where God puts on your heart. But there is a lion's share of it which would go to your local church where you're being spiritually fed and where we're looking for the kingdom of God to break out through. You know, the New Testament apostles, in their way of trying to fulfill the great commission that Jesus had given them, what did they do? They went and they planted churches wherever they went. And as believers, one of our primary callings is to establish the church so the kingdom of God can break out through that. It breaks out in other ways, but the, the church is the primary agent that God likes to use. And as we give, we can know that we are storing up for ourselves a rich, eternal reward for us. And we also become agents of God's grace, extending his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, as we're told to pray. It's a very practical way we can, we can outwork that prayer. William Barclay says this, Paul insists that no one has ever No one is ever the loser through generosity. Giving is like sowing a seed. And Charles Swindle uh, adds to that. He he said, this is another famous quote, but I think this is where it comes from, uh, from this man. You cannot outgive God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. You cannot outgive God. Doesn't mean that he's going to, you give and you suddenly get a load of money come back more than you've given. It's not necessarily financial reward that he will give you back, but he will bless you in many ways and make sure that he provides for all you need. So we're called, grace enables us to be cheerful givers. And that's because we serve a God who is a cheerful giver. It's my final point, and it's only a brief one. As we grow in cheerfully giving, it shows that we're becoming more like our great God and Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself is the most hilariously sacrificial, cheerful giver ever. If you read in uh, verse 9 of chapter 8, it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. The Son of God, who had all glory and everything there for him in heaven, everyone was focused on him, chose to give that up, to live amongst us, live a poor life amongst us, rejected by men, despised, mistreated, spat upon, though this world wasn't worthy Of him, he chose to presence himself amongst us. He taught us the way to God. He healed the sick. He helped the hopeless. He showed love to the unlovely. And he chose to go on the cross to take on himself all the things that you and I and this whole world have done that is wrong, that offends God, so that he could take on himself God's righteous punishment against those things. And then for all those who put their faith in him, we could be freely forgiven. We can have the Holy Spirit given 
to us to help us start living to God and also as a deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance in the age to come. What money could not buy, you get by grace for free through faith in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Charles Hodge says this, unless Christ had submitted to all the humiliation of his incarnation and death, we should forever have remained poor, destitute of all holiness, happiness, and glory. Jesus did that for us. And it wasn't some dreadful duty that he thought, oh, I suppose I better try and do this. He did it reluctantly or anything like that. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. God is the most sacrificial, cheerful giver ever. And in his grace, that's what he wants to transform you and me into more and more. He wants to produce that Christ-likeness in you. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So in closing, the grace of God empowers you to become a cheerful giver. Amen. Amen. Can I invite the band back up here, please? We're going to sing a song of surrender to Jesus, all to Jesus. We're giving him our all. And uh, as we sing this song, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I, I, I want to surrender my life to him. I want to, I, I want to start on this journey that he has got for me. I want that security of knowing that when I die, I'm going to be with him forever. Can I invite you during this song to come to the, down to the front left over here? There'll be other people coming down as well. But just whoever's praying for you, just let them know that's what you want prayer for. And they'll lead you in a prayer of repentance there. If you're here this morning and you need healing. You had a wonderful testimony from Pauline about how she had received healing through the NHS and lovely support uh, from us as a church afterwards. But actually, we also... Uh, seeing God move amongst us and bring healing instantly in people's lives as well. And if you need prayer for healing in, in any particular area, again, come forward down to this front uh, left area over here. As I brought during the worship, if you're one of those people that are struggling with this whole area of forgiveness and you just want someone to pray with you and to, and to pray that God will help you to move in this then again, come forward down here. And if you're someone, as I've been speaking on, in this whole area of cheerful giving, and you just think, yeah, I just want to grow in this. I know that I've got a struggle with this. I want to grow in it. Or you just, you just want someone to come and just pray for you for any other reason. And as we sing this song, the, the ministry team will be down here. They want to pray with you. God wants you to enjoy his freedom in your life. Don't, don't, don't through pride think, oh no, I can't go forward. God wants to meet with you. He wants to set you free. He has the very best for you. So should we stand?